let's just get it out. This is weird that a brother and a sister are giving it's a true. talk it's about sex. True. It's weird. Okay, we it's get so it. It's so true. We totally get it. That's why when we're telling people that we co-authored this book, you have to be very careful about the wording. It's not, uh-huh. I wrote a book about sex with my brother. <laughs> it's, I wrote a book with my brother about yeah. sex. So, <laughs> it's true. Um, just real briefly, uh, thank you guys for having us. This is our first time doing this. So it's a virgin experience for us. So <laughs> you guys, I promise not to make the jokes all night. <laughs> no, she's gonna. Uh-huh. <laughs> I might. He's the more mature out of this. I'm the older. I know I don't look it. Um, <laughs> certainly don't act it. So uh, let me just, we just want to tell you guys real briefly, I'm going to give uh, my testimony, and then Joel is going to do the majority of the talking tonight uh, for this first session. The second session, we're going to tag team a little, and then tomorrow, you're going to get more of me. Hey, Jasmine. And everybody's, <laughs> everybody's like, we're not coming tomorrow, so it's fine. Um, we both grew up in the church. Obviously, mm-hmm. we have uh, uh, just one of those families that was there every single time the church doors opened. Um, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, if, you know, that someone in the church is like, we need someone to clean the toilets. My parents were like, our kids will go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were always there. And uh, we learned, or I learned really early on that the best way to kind of gain everybody's approval and alternately keep everybody off my back was to be the good girl. And I did that with everything I had. When I was in kindergarten, I won Miss Christian Character. <laughs> it's fine. People typically clap, but you guys don't have to. I don't know how things work in Bellingham, but um, I'll give you another chance. It's shocking. In kindergarten, I won Miss Christian Character. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, and then went on from there to just do all the good girl things. Like, I was the good girl. Uh, you know, I was the girl with the letterman's jacket with a Bible verse on it. I was that girl. And, um, you know, everybody in our family was pastors and missionaries and teachers. Um, our great, great, great grandmother led Abraham Lincoln to the Lord. That didn't happen. It was pretty close. <laughs> it was pretty close. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, that joke does not work in the South. Um <laughs> It doesn't. Anyway, um, you know, so again, we just, I I just learned really early on how to play that good girl. And I went so far as to go to Bible college. I got my bachelor's in theology. And I need you to hear me say this. Went on missions trips, went to Bible college, did all the right things. And uh, my heart was hard towards God. I knew I didn't love God. I knew I wasn't a Christian. I was like what Jesus described, those whitewashed tombs that looks really clean on the Mm. outside, but on the inside is just dead and rotting bones. And when I was in Bible college, we had to go to prayer before our classes, and I would just use that time to take a gentle nap, typically. Um, But there was just one time that I was, there, there was no rock bottom. It was nothing crazy. I was just sitting there um, trying to sleep, and God broke in and showed me that all of my goodness was not good enough before a holy God, that I needed the goodness of someone else. Because I had really thought that if I could just be good enough, it was going to be fine. And I I was doing that. Um, But God, by his gracious mercy, showed me that I needed the goodness of Jesus Christ over my life. And in all of this, right, so we're growing up in the church, and it's the purity movement, and it's like, you just stay pure, and that means everything. You just don't, you're, you never have sex, you're, you're perfect, that's, that's all that matters. That was part of this. Um, and so the reason that we wrote this book was first for money, and second... <laughs> no, it's actually not for money, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. You don't make money. Um, well, we don't. Some yeah. authors do. <laughs> so maybe that's more commentary yeah, on yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> We're easy like that. We just give the it away. reason that we wrote this book is because we wanted to build a better view of sexuality for teens in the church today. Better than mm. what we uh, grew up with, better than what we knew. 
uh, which was, again, it was just this myopic sort of vision or mission that was just, don't do it. Yeah. Um, and there's actually so much more to it than that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's it for me tonight. Guys, right see you guys later. Peace out. Have the keys. I'm going to go back to the <laughs> I think I just got saved, Jessica. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, yeah, so tonight Joel's going to give us a really, uh, uh, build a big view of, of what sexual, uh, what the Bible says to us about our sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. All right. right on. Okay. And team. Okay. Hi, I'm Joel. It's good to be with you guys. Like Jessica said, thank you for having us uh, with you. Um, tonight, we're going to kind of, in this first session, um, what's left of it after Jessica stole uh, 15 minutes, um, we're going to kind of race through the biblical storyline. And in doing that, uh, the hope is that we actually start to build like the foundation blocks for how we think about sex. Now, um, this is going to be awkward. Uh, it just is. Like, you talk about sex, and it's always awkward. Um, so teenagers who are here, I'm sorry. Uh, it's going to get awkward. But I hope that as you go through this with us, um, you start to, like, build a framework for how to think about sex and sexuality. So let me pray before we get started. I think it's always good for us to pray uh, before we look at God's word, especially pray for humility. Um, so let me pray for that. Lord, we thank you so much for our time together. Um, thank you for Christ Church and them being willing to be the guinea pig for uh, this. Uh, God, thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you that we're all united together under uh, the banner of Christ that says it's finished. Um, thank you that we're all united under um, the cross and the empty tomb that says, uh, man, we come uh, just total wrecks and you remake us into something new. And so, God, we pray that in this area, especially the area of uh, sex and sexuality that carries so much guilt and so much shame, uh, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, work through the Holy Spirit to, uh, to heal us and to give us a better vision uh, for what you've done, this good gift for us, uh, given us this. So we pray this all in Christ's name, and we thank you uh, for Jesus. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins uh, for Christ's sake. And we pray, amen. Um, it's important to say at the outset of this, uh, of this conference, of this like kind of mini little weekend retreat, um, that just because Jessica and I are up here, uh, that doesn't mean that we're the experts. So if you want a refund, um, sorry, you're going to have to talk to the, to the people who put this on. But uh, just because we wrote a book, it doesn't mean we have all the answers. Uh, just because we wrote a book together, um, it doesn't mean that we have everything uh, figured out and you guys need to sit at the feet of the masters, right? Um, in fact, like Jessica was saying, the way we came about uh, writing this book, the way that we thought about this was through our own failure. Uh, Jessica has teenagers uh, and one 20-year-old, so she's officially old. Um, I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and so I'm officially younger than her. I just want to point that out. Um, and both of our kids go to the same schools, we live in the same town, and our kids experience the same sort of questions as they go to public school. Both of our kids go to public school, all of our kids do. And they run into the same questions over and over again. And I found out uh, really quickly uh, that my view of human sexuality, of sex and human sexuality, uh, just was really thin. Um, now, I grew up, like Jessica said, grew up in a Christian home. Every time the doors were open, we were there. Uh, mom's Elise Fitzpatrick. My dad is, a, is an elder. We went on missions trip, we, trips. We were being taught the Bible. My grandmother was a missionary um, and, a, and a preacher. Um, it, yeah, whoops, I'm PCA too, so don't worry about that. Um, she was a preacher and a missionary. Um, and... We grew up in this culture where we were being taught the Bible and we were reading the Bible and we were in these special Bible studies. Uh, we were in special groups. We were taking like vows to each other and we spent a lot of time talking. Um, 
But so often we didn't get like a full view of sex. Uh, how many people here think that talking about sex is awkward? A uh, show of hands. How many of you feel awkward right now with me standing up here talking about sex? Okay, that's good. I actually thought it was going to be a higher, uh, higher uh, amount of people than that. Um, the question is, what do we do with that awkwardness? Um, what do we do with all of the sort of guilt and the shame uh, that we bring into these conversations that we have with our kids? I can just say this, try writing a book with your sister about it. I mean, talk about like just embracing the awkward, um, right? What do we do with that? How do we deal with it? Because talking is so important. Um, how do we talk about the most awkward thing to our teens who are already, sorry, teenagers, who are already awkward, um, and help steer them and guide them in a way that's healthy and biblical and leads them to the feet of our Savior. How do we do that well? Um, we talk about any number of things, right? Scott talks about the Patriots all the time. Um, he sends us texts about the Patriots all the time. Um, we talk about how lame the Chargers are for leaving San Diego. Um, we talk about all sorts of things, work, school grades, all these things, but how do we actually get down to like the nitty-gritty of life? Um, how do we do that well? In the church we were raised in, we were taught, um, if not explicitly, then absolutely implicitly, that sex was bad, um, that we needed to avoid it at all costs. That is until we got married and then it was like, go for it, right? And try making that transition in your brain. Like, that's a difficult transition to make. Um, we may, may not have been told that sex made you dirty, but um, I can remember a girl in our church who got pregnant, and uh, she didn't show up at church very often anymore. Um, I was told that God's love for me was based on how good I was, and I knew that sex was bad, and I knew that lust was bad, and I knew I was a teenager, and as a boy, teenager, lust is something that's like, it's always there, it's always present. And so the question always ran through my mind, would God love me? Does he love me? Can he ever love me? You see... My experience was devoid of the gospel for like the nitty-gritty moments of life. Because there wasn't this good story. People were afraid to say things like, sex is good. God created it. I mean, that's, that's like shocking to say to your teenager, right? Um, and yet... What I hope we see as we go through this tonight is that God actually made sex. <laughs> and he made it good. He made it to be shared. And it's not something that we need to, like, keep at arm's length. But it's something we actually need to talk about. And we need to go through. So, um, first, first section, when sex started. Uh, my friends and the culture uh, said to me that sex was everything. Uh, they said to me, like, if you want to be cool and you want to be fulfilled, then, you know, sex is the way to do it. And um, if you don't have sex, then there's something wrong with you and you're missing out. I mean, it was all over the culture. It was all over magazines. It was all over the TV. Um, it was there in our discussions. It was there in our jokes. It was there in our lingering stares. Yes, even during worship services, right? Lust was there, constantly knocking at the door. Um, sex was what we talked about. It's what we thought about. It's what we dreamed about. And it's what we acted on, right? My church was telling a different story than that. My church said, sex is everything. And if you don't wait until you're married, then you're a disappointment, to God. And then you're a disappointment 
and something's wrong with you. Um, I can remember making a promise as a young man that I would not have sex until I was married, right? And that promise to me was like the benchmark. So I would do everything up to that promise, to breaking that promise, right? And I felt justified. I felt right before God. There was so much pressure surrounding me to keep myself pure and right. So what do you do with that, right? Um, Now growing up as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, like I hear this over and over again. What is sex good? What do we even do with this? Is it okay? Counseling guys and premarital counseling. What do I, like, how do I relate to my spouse? Like, what about sex? Um, Here's this amazing truth. Sex was God's extraordinary idea. Sex was God's extraordinary idea to begin with. And it's good. Uh, open your Bibles if you have Bibles with you, or take out your cell phones and unlock your cell phones. We're going to start to start to walk through this. Uh, open them up to the very beginning. Uh, Genesis one and two. Uh, in the beginning of the Bible, in the, the very very beginning. Uh, in these first two chapters, we read about a time when everything was perfect, right? Um, when everything was good and right in the world. And there was beauty and there was communion, right? This is the pre-fall world. This is pre-sin, pre-curse. The Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve stood in front of each other completely naked, I mean, just think about that for a moment. Um, I was ex- I was talking uh, to one of my kids about this just the other night, right? Adam and Eve were standing in front of each other completely naked. Na- not just naked physically, right? But emotionally, spiritually, they were like open books with each other. Um, my kid who I told that to giggled, Right? Because he starts thinking, like, wait a second, two people standing naked in front of each other? Um, Completely naked. And what were they? They were unashamed. Um, They were unashamed. That's what Genesis 2.25 says. I mean, just stop for a moment and think about that. When you were at your most beautiful, I've long since passed that, um, When you were at your most handsome, most fit, most beautiful, when you stood naked in front of another human being, and your body was the best that it ever would be, my guess is, if your guess is, you, you probably felt like, does this person find me attractive? Um, should I be standing here naked? You kind of did one of these numbers, right? Um, Is this okay? Adam and Eve, for them, that question didn't even enter their minds. (laughs) I mean, just think about that for a second. That didn't even enter their minds. They were naked and they were unashamed. And God saw that, and what did he tell him? Turn in your Bibles. Genesis 1, uh, we'll start at verse 27. So God had created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I mean, like, What are we talking about here, right? Um, It doesn't mean like be great gardeners and be fruitful, right? He's saying, have sex. Have sex, have children. Be fruitful. Like you think about like abundance there. Multiply. 
Now, I mean, let's remember when this is. This is before the fall. This is before sin ever entered the world. God looked at that and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then what happens? After God saw all of that, what does he say about, what does he say about it? God said, behold, I've given you all of these things. And then down in 31, and God saw everything that he had, he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. Now, you got to remember this, right? Over and over again, we have this like creation, it's good. Creation, it's good. Creation, it's good. Creation, it's good. Creation, it's very good. That tells you something right off the bat, right? Um, You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to know anything about that, right? This means that God looked at the intimacy that was there. He looked at that, at that union that was going on between Adam and Eve, and he says, man, that's good. God created man. God created woman in his image. And notice when he created them in his image, they didn't gain their identity from their sexual expression. Does that make sense? They gained their identity from Christ or from God, right? The image of God. They didn't gain their identity from sexual expression, and neither do we. We gain our identity now as believers through the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And what this means is that if you struggle in this area, if this is an area where you're like, man, I, I, I try to fight and I lose. I have these attractions and I, I know that they aren't right means that who you are before God is not based on your sexuality. You can come before God as a person created in his image who is being recreated every day by the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of his son, and you can find your identity there. And then... You can express yourself sexually in the ways that God has given us to do that in the right God-ordained ways. And you can find identity, not in your sex, but in how God's made you. You see, sex is no hidden mystery, right? It's been there from the very beginning. Um, It's been there from the very beginning. It's extraordinary, but it's no hidden mystery. When sex started, um, like I was seeing the culture scream. Sorry, I, get, I don't usually preach using these things, so I'm flying through here not doing this. Here we are. Sex is ordin- extraordinary and that it unites us to another person, and yet it's also very ordinary. And so instead of falling into extremes, let's bring sex into its proper place. Let's talk to our kids about sex. Let's talk to them about the goodness of sex when it's enjoyed in its proper place. Let's give them a view of sex that emphasizes um, how it gives value to our spouse. Not valve, but value to our spouse. And displays our love for them. Let's talk about sex in this ordinary way. As it was created by God. Um, We all know the next set. The next part of the story right. Sex breaks. Um, We have the fall. Um, Adam and Eve sinned. They traded the truth. Of living in line with the way that God wanted them to live. In for the lie. Of trying to grasp. To become God. To become like God. Um, they traded those things. And in that one act, the whole of earth and of humanity fell with them. So that now even the intent of our hearts is broken. Um, It would be one thing 
It'd be one thing if the command was just to abstain from sex, right? That'd be easy uh, in some sense, right? Abstain from sex. Uh, don't have physical intercourse. But you see, Jesus takes that law, you shall not commit adultery, and he deepens it, right? And this is what we read in this verse. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, This is the reality of the situation, right? And the Bible is full of stories of sexual brokenness. We're just going to kind of fly through these. This is a lot, uh, a lot to cover. But we have Rachel and Leah and Jacob. Um, This marriage, (laughs) that's just, I mean, it's just like a dumpster fire of a marriage, right? Um, It just is. Uh, Right, You you have Rachel, which is the woman who Jacob actually is, Um, attracted to, then you have Leah, who, uh, behold, it's Leah, right? She's weak of eyes. Um, Like, sorry, Leah. Um, You have Leah, who's just like, she's like, um, yeah, she just has baby after baby after baby. You have Rachel, who's barren. Um. And then we get this really kind of ugly scene, as if the whole thing wasn't ugly enough. Um, The fact that Leah felt like like, uh, she wasn't loved by Jacob, the fact that Rachel like held that over her, the fact that Leah held over Rachel, the fact that she could have babies and Rachel couldn't. Then we have this scene in Genesis 30. Turn there in your Bibles. Chapter 14, or I mean verse 14. Uh, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field. Now, if you don't know what mandrakes were, they were like kind of used as a drug, almost like an aphrodisiac kind of drug. Um, so he finds these mandrakes and he brings them into his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? I mean, that's like, Wow. What a strong, powerful thing to say. Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? And Rachel said, then, um, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me. Read there, you must come and have sex with me. Um, you must come in to me. For I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. No, like, I won't finish reading the rest of that out. Um, Here we have this, this real brokenness. I mean, just real, like, wow, that's hard. Um, Her husband doesn't love her. So she uses this uh, drug-like plant to buy sex from him. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard reality. And yet the beauty of this story is that out of this dire situation, the selling of a man for sex, polygamy and the bitterness of two sisters, God begins to form his people. Um, you see, the Bible is, uh, if the Bible is anything with sex, the Bible is pretty straightforward with it, right? It doesn't hide much detail. Um, and the beauty about this story is that if you're here tonight and you're in a broken family, take heart. God uses broken families to build his kingdom. If you have a child who's going through, um, or a brother or sister who's going through the brokenness of a family, take heart. God uses brokenness to build his kingdom, 
to bring about salvation in the world. We get this next one, which is even uglier than the first, Genesis 38. This is the chapter that most pastors skip when they're preaching through the book of Genesis. Or it's the chapter where they send out the email to the whole congregation and say, like, don't bring your kids to church. We're going to have extra Sunday school workers. That's literally how I type an email, just in case you guys are wondering. Um, right? We have this story of Judah and Tamar. Um, Judah has a daughter, has a son. Um, Son dies, next son dies, next son dies, or next son, I'm sorry, has a son, that son dies, next one dies, um, because he wouldn't impregnate his uh, sister-in-law. And then next son, Judah's like, yeah, no, he's probably going to die if he gets married to her. So we're going to pull the plug on that marriage. Um, And then... Here's Tamar, this woman who's like, why are you holding back my rights? Like, by right, I should have this. So, Judah takes off on a trip. And Tamar goes, and, um, and she takes off all of her, like, garb that would say that she's mourning um, the death of her husband. And she dresses up and hides her face. And Judah sees her, and Judah goes, thinking that she's a prostitute, and he has sex with her, and he impregnates her. Okay? This is Judah, right? Lion, like tribe of Judah, like Judah, Judah. Um, He impregnates her. So she, like, comes back. Uh, he doesn't know who she is. Um, he gives her his signet ring, his core, his uh, belt, his staff. She comes back. She has these things. She hides them, puts back on her mourning uh, garb. And then um, as is the normal course of things, uh, she's pregnant. She starts to uh, show that she's pregnant. And Judah's like, whoa, wait, hold on a second. Uh, you're pregnant that means, right, um, you had to have sex, and there's no one you can lawfully have sex with, and so now, like, we're going to carry out punishment on you. And in one of the greatest, like, gotcha moments of the whole Bible, I think, um, like, she says, well, okay, right on, um, punish me, but first, please identify who these are. The signet ring, the cord, and the staff. And Judah's like, oh, snap. Um, I'm undone. She's more righteous than I am since I didn't give her to my son. Fast forward. Um, The scandal of this whole story, uh, the beauty of this whole story, the scandalous beauty of this whole story is that there's no sin that can disqualify you from being a part of the king of love's plan of redemption. You see, you flip forward, and where do you find Tamar's name? Do you guys know? Where do you find it? In the the genealogy of Christ. Who? You see, parents, this should give you tons of hope. It should give you tons of hope. There's no, no sin that when repented of can, can keep you out of God's redemptive plan for this world. Last one, Rahab. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. I mean, we'll just start there, right? Hey, good luck with that one. Um, But you know what's funny about Rahab? Where does she end up? What was that? 
Where does she end up? Yeah. There's no sin, no circumstance, no family situation that will separate you from God's providential care. You see, um, this is, this is going to be a little bit of a more difficult part of this talk for me. Uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, um, probably between the ages of five and eight, um, somewhere right around in there, I don't really remember it well. I've kind of blocked those memories. Uh, I was molested um, by a family member. Uh, not anyone in our immediate family, um, praise God, but as is usually the case, um, it's someone who was a family member who wasn't in our immediate family. Um, nobody in my family knew about it. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion um, that some people knew what was going on. Um, and um, every time I go to this person's house, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd be molested by my cousin who was a little bit older than me. Um, and what that does to you um, you carry shame with you your whole life. You carry like a broken view of human sexuality through your whole life. Uh, for so long, I questioned, um, would anybody love me? Like if they knew that this was true about me, um, would anybody love me? Would they find me attractive? Which led to an immense amount of self-loathing and um, self-hatred, um, a lot of questioning. And yet, friends, um, I stand here today as like an ordained minister of Christ. Um, a person who understands that what was done to me without my, um, without my permission, uh, what was done to me isn't my identity. Uh, my identity is somewhere else. Uh, it's based in something else. Uh, praise God for that. Right? Because if it was just me, not only would I carry the fact that I had been molested, but I'd carry the fact that I had, that the way I responded to that wasn't right. And I'd carry all of my sexual brokenness and the way that then I went on to objectify people with me. And yet, you see what we learn from these three stories, as, many, as well as so many others, is that God is in the business of taking sexually broken people and redeeming them and making them new. You see, that's power. That's beauty. That's a story that we need to tell not only ourselves, but our kids. Our kids who sit there and they think to themselves, man, I know that sex is wrong and yet I lust. And I know Jesus says not to lust. So therefore, how can God ever love me? Well, the beauty of the gospel is in the midst of our brokenness, Jesus enters in and redeems us and makes us new and gives us hope. So... When sex helps, um, the wisdom of sexual fidelity. Honestly, when I titled this, uh, this portion, I didn't say the wisdom of sexual fidelity. Um, I said the wisdom of sexual activity, which uh, the publisher then sent back to me really quickly and said, yeah, probably not, Joel. Um, <laughs> can I say? And, you know, the funny thing is I've preached on this topic like nine times. I've... I've taught a Sunday school class on this topic. I've done multiple retreat tops on this topic. And whenever I get to this point, like everybody in the like fairer sex like rolls their eyes and are like, here we go. Um, this guy's going to tell us that we have to like have sex all the time. Um, 
But the beauty of God is that he doesn't write us off or like leave us to our own wisdom. God gives us wisdom. He gives us his wise plan. And honestly, it's kind of awkward and cool all at once, right? As we go through these verses, as we go through this next section where we'll read a lot about like the goodness of sex, the goodness of sexual activity, it's not just the human author who's writing this. Right? There's the divine author who stands behind the human author. Um, so that like these wise words are like God's wise words about sex to his people. Kind of makes you feel a little bit awkward. Makes me feel awkward standing up here and saying that. But like, um, what are you going to do with it? Uh, God tells us that it's wise to have sex and to enjoy sex in the context of marriage. Now... Um, Before I start, I want to say something, and teenagers, this is probably one of those areas where you need to, like, perk up a little bit. Um, For some people, uh, sex isn't fun. Um, For some people, sex isn't enjoyable. Uh, You need to know that. Uh, The things that you may have seen... um, on a computer screen, uh, and let's just be honest, uh, most kids by the age of eight now um, have been exposed to pornography. So, um, like, dwell on that for a minute. Um, the things that you see on the computer screen aren't um, necessarily real. I hope you guys know that. Um, like, I hate to shatter your vision. Um, but actually, no, I actually enjoy shattering it. Um, that's not real. Um, what you see in pornography isn't real. It's not all like this, like, yeah, all that action. Um, for some people, it's hard to have sex um, because they've been raped or molested. And so it's hard to give of themselves sexually, and sex is difficult. For other people, their bodies are just built differently. Um, and so it's painful uh, to have sex. It doesn't feel good. Um, it actually induces pain. Um, you see, in these cases, uh, as well as so many other ones that I don't have the time to go into, right, sex will take the form and the shape of service to your loved one. In fact, in a minute, we're going to look at where the Apostle Paul actually says that. Um, Sex will take the form of service and loving, both loving each other. Um, Which in reality is how sex should, uh, should operate in all marriages, right? It should be a husband seeking to serve his wife and a wife seeking to serve her husband. God made sex, and he made it good. Uh, Where do we start? The book of Proverbs. Uh, Flip in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. By the way, these were the most awkward series of sermons I've ever had to preach. Um, You want to talk about not making eye contact with people? That was seriously awkward. We had a, a, in the church where I preached these three Proverbs, five, six, and seven, in three consecutive weeks, uh, we had like a row row of uh, elderly women who sat right in the middle, and um, they memorized the ceiling tiles and the floor (laughs) through those sermons. (laughs) It was pretty awesome. Um, Okay, where are we at here? Um, Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5 is this beautiful uh, picture of a dad talking to his son, right? You see it right in the beginning. First verse, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Um, This proverb uses uh, like beautiful word pictures. And in this proverb, the word picture is that of taste, Uh, If you read all the way down through it, if you're looking through it, um, you read things like wormwood. uh, She's bitter as wormwood, right? Um, You read things like uh, to drink um, from your own well. Um, You read about like the the sweet taste of honey that like turns bitter. Um, 
the writer of this proverb um, talks about talks about sex in this way, and he says, "Like, look, son, um, sex sex that you get from a prostitute or from a woman outside of your own marriage." Um, like at first it tastes sweet like honey. Um, but it ends up being bitter in the end. Uh, I love to eat chocolate. Um, chocolate's one of my favorite things. I probably love to eat it too much. Um, as is shown by my waistline. Um, I love eating chocolate and I love dark chocolate, right? I love bitter chocolate. So, you know, go to Trader Joe's and buy like the one pound bar of like dark chocolate, right? And I'll break off one piece and I'll promise to myself it's just one piece and I'll eat it. And then I'm like, dang, that was too good to just have one piece. So I'll break off another piece and I'll eat that. And then like a half hour later, I've consumed a pound of chocolate, right? (laughs) And what started out as good in the beginning ended up being bitter and giving me a stomach ache in the end. You see that goofy little illustration is exactly what the writer of this proverb is talking about. He says, what starts out as sweet and good in the beginning, right? Because it gives you all these endorphins and like your body is like raging and whatnot. And then like in the end, you're like, oh, what did I do? It's bitter. And yet he says, uh, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let them, let them be for yourself, right? These streams of water and not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated by her love. Ooh, like that gets awkward, right? Uh, there towards the end. But you see, like, hear this. This is God's plan for human sexuality. God wants you to to turn to your wife and be filled by her. God wants you to be turned you to turn to your husband and find satisfaction in him. Chapter 6 comes along and down in verses 20 through 27 uh, the an author goes back and he like re comes back around through this normal uh, conversation about like lying and work and money, and he says starts talking about adultery, and here instead of food, what he uses is the is the um, is the idea of fire, right? He says like sex is kind of like fire, um, especially sex with like a prostitute is like fire. And he asked this great question, which I love. It's like one of these really, like, no-brainer questions. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Now, I mean, kids, think about this, right? Um, How many of you have ever, like, built a campfire? Adults can answer, too. It's fine if kids want to answer. I know kids have built a campfire. Give me a break. Um, Picture this, you reach in and you grab one of the logs that's on fire and you kind of give it a hug. And the question is, if you hug a log that's on fire, will your clothes get burned? Yes. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold, right? He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. 
You see, here's the deal, right? You go and you steal a loaf of bread. You can make restitution for a loaf of bread, right? Um, You can bake another loaf if you have to, or you can pay for it. You go commit adultery. You can't pay someone back for that. Proverbs 7, he just goes into this impassioned plea. (laughs) Please, don't go into the prostitute. Don't do that. We then turn to Ecclesiastes, this great uh, picture of this guy who's just constantly in the pursuit of pleasure, right? And he says, hey, look, like, you want to try sex to find pleasure? Um, I've tried it. Uh, I got many concubines, the delight of man, tons of beautiful women, right? Many people think that the writer of um, of, uh, Song of Songs is Solomon. Um, This guy who had like, I think it was like 700 concubines. Um, And then he had his wives on top of that. Like, good night. Um, Like, that's a crazy amount of women like throwing themselves at him, this powerful king. He says, all of that was vanity. Um, What he means by that is not like vanity, like you look at yourself in the mirror and you're vain, but like vanity, meaning it's like, like there's nothing to it. Like it's weightless, like it's a breath of air. It's striving after wind. And there's nothing to be gained under the sun. So what do we do? Um, the Apostle Paul lays this out really well. In chapters 5, 6, and 7 of 1 Corinthians, we don't have the time to run through this as deeply as I'd love to, but the Apostle Paul lays out this beautiful picture, especially in chapter 7, where he says, um, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman her own husband. And then notice this. I love this, the way he kind of like flips that. And he says, the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. I love the Apostle Paul for putting that first. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, husbands, hear this. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Except perhaps... I love that. Okay, except for when you agree on it. And you might devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so Satan might not tempt you through your lack of self-control. Whole purpose here is the Apostle Paul in 5, 6, and 7 is saying, like, your body's not yours, it's Jesus's. Um, so use your body to serve your spouse. Use your body to serve your spouse. Why would he tell them to do that? Well, because uh, sex is a picture of something much bigger. It's a picture of this consummation. And the consummation of the kingdom of God. Now, this is the part of the book that I really nerded out on. Um, I love this. This is my favorite section of the book. And when Jess and I started to write this... Um, This portion of the book, like the reality of the gospel, like redeeming our sexuality, just started to take form and crystallize in my mind. Um, I love fried chicken, and you may wonder why I'm saying that, but I love fried chicken, Um, especially with good collard greens. Like, that just makes me so happy. Uh, Scott, if we're going to dinner tonight, you know where to take me. Um, I love fried chicken. I can remember the first time I ate fried chicken at this place in San Diego called the Crack Shack. Um... And uh, the Crack Shack is like a San Diego institution. If you're ever in San Diego, you need to go to the Crack Shack. Be sure you save yourself plenty of time because there's a long line. And I was sitting there with my pastor friend, uh, who is now my pastor, and we were talking about how our kids like would take sticks at Christian conferences and cast spells from Harry Potter on the like other pastor's kids <laughs> who didn't really know what was going on, and we would laugh about that. Um, 
And he was in the middle of like regaling me with this great story. And I picked up a drumstick. This is the first time I ate there. And I took a bite. And I can remember it was a drumstick. And I took a bite. I said, Rob, just stop talking. <laughs> like I'm having a moment here. <laughs> I don't want you to, to interrupt my moment. Um, C.S. Lewis says this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Um, you see, our sex, um, our sex shows a longing for connectedness. Adam didn't find a, a, anyone who was fit for him. Um, then Eve came, right? And it's like, oh, behold, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. They're married. And the union that they experienced and we experience with one another when we have sex reflects a longing for a union with our creator. You see, Adam all day long is walking along with Jesus in the cool, or walking along with God in the cool of the afternoon. Um, you can tell who I thought was the one with him in the garden. Um, was walking along with God in the garden in the cool of the afternoon, experiencing union and communion. And then he gets Eve, and it's like, oh, yes. Here's someone who's in the image of God who I can be with and connect with, and I can experience that too. But sex is also a picture. The Apostle Paul um, in Ephesians 5 is talking all about like marriage and uh, different duties and these things. And he says this, this mystery is profound. Um, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, that's the weird thing about marriage. Is that in some way, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. In some way is... A wife and her husband are together and they, they share life together. They share union and communion together. It's a picture of Christ and the church. And yet in that, we know, like, I know my wife looks at me every day and sees that I fail her. Like, I just know that because I know it about myself. And I know that I look at my wife and as much as I love my wife, it's going to be 19 years in a couple of months, as much as I love my wife, I know she can't fulfill me. She just can't satisfy me. And for me to freight that onto her, to make her carry that weight, is just so unkind. The beauty is Jesus is my true husband. Jesus is my better spouse. You see, we're married to him already. Everything that you wish your spouse would be or could be or would have been, Jesus is to you. Sex is not only this longing and a picture, but it's also a relationship. Ephesians 5 again, right? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So they might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, it's this picture, this picture of the union that the church has with Christ that we experience in this horizontal relationship of marriage and that in some ways is like driven home through like the sexual intimacy that we share, the union that we have with each other, the love and the intimacy. 
Is that the picture that you're presenting your teen? It's a beautiful picture, the picture that you're presenting your teen. Um, we don't experience this right now, right? Um, we experience this in fullness another time. If you would please, last verse that we'll look at tonight. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Flip all the way to the end. Turn to, the, to Revelation chapter 19. Um, we're seeing all the way through the book of Revelation, like this war, then like this beautiful conquest. And then we get this wonderful act of praise in the beginning of 19, and then at the end, or in the middle of 19, we hear this, uh, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord, our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen of the right, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You see, that's hope. Um, that's beautiful hope in the midst of sexual brokenness. In the midst of a world that's broken... In the midst of the fallen world where pain and shame and guilt are so tied up with the act of sex. That there's a day that's coming when we will experience in fullness in the marriage supper of the Lamb when we're with Jesus. We'll experience in fullness what now we only experience in part in our marriages. And that hope, that beautiful gospel hope, is what gives our kids, um, gives our kids and moves even us to practice self-control. Um, in this part, we're going to do like a words for mom and a words for dad. So dad's uh, at the end of every one of these, I'm going to say something to you. And this is what I want to say to you now. Uh, tell the story. Dads, you've got to be involved in your kids' lives. Um, you must be. In this area especially. Um, in many ways, you are you are uh, the way that, uh, that Christ uh, communicates to his, uh, to his people in your, in your little family. Um, Dads, you've got to be telling your kids this good story. Which means that dads, you need to know this good story. Um, you need to believe this. You need to have this in you. This reality that God redeems broken people. And puts in them a longing for union and communion that's fulfilled in Christ. Yeah, and moms. Thank you, Joel. And moms... Um, just real, real briefly, I just want to say, not just for moms, but for, in this room with this many people, there are people, uh, you know, besides Joel that have been sexually abused. Um, and we want to start out by saying, this is why we went straight to the Bible, because we bring in our own ideas. Um, so for those of you who have experienced sexual abuse, uh, first, we say that we're sorry, that God hates that. It's not your fault. Um, all the shame that you feel, uh, God longs to comfort you in that. Um, for women, uh, there is a lot of misconceptions about sex, outside <laughs> for me, and the reason we start with this overview, this story, is so that we reorient what we think to what the Bible says. And so, 
for women in this room whose husbands have been unfaithful, for women who have been unfaithful, for women who lost their virginity early on, for women who have had abortions, for women who uh, experience sexual abuse. Uh, you need to hear that part of the talk that you know uh, sexual brokenness does not define you. It doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't define you. It's not who you are. So hear us say that and then say that to your kids. Give your kids that hope, right? God created sex. It was beautiful. Adam and Eve sinned. Sex was broken, and it was immediately used as something to gain from instead of to give but God uses all of that brokenness anyway to bring out his beautiful plan of redemption. And then one day, you might, in your, in your lives now, you might think, ah, sex. But one day, there will be a day when every longing will be fulfilled, every way you want to be loved will be fulfilled. Share that with your kids. Share this whole idea. Sex is good. Sex was broken. <laughs> But there is redemption, and then one day there will be redemption fully. And we will step into our true identities. Our true identity is not like, oh, I, I was either super pure or I was broken and disqualified. Your true identity is, is a loved daughter or son. That's your true identity. That's what we want to share with our kids. So this big picture that Joel just created for you, right, Share the whole thing with your kids, the whole thing. Not just sex is good, but yes, there was a, a period of brokenness. There is redemption, and one day, every, every longing will be fulfilled in Christ. That's coming for us. Share that with your kids, too.